Without any further ado, could you please welcome Christine Warner as she comes this morning to share for my story month. Christine. We've got a broken chair. This is all good. Which one's that off? That one. Christine, you sit on this one, please. No, that one's broken. I'll sit on this. I'll sit on this. Forget that one. Cause, um, and we'll get the microphone because this is all over the shop right now. Guys, just, just take that one off stage. Just take that one. I'll just sit here. It's fine. There we go. You take that one. Are you sure? If I fall... <laughs> do, I, do I trust you? Yeah, that look in your eye. It's that look. We're right. Sorry, this is all about you right now. I'm making this about me, Christine. I'm worried. The leg. Okay, we're good. We're good. That's okay. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Yeah, a little bit nervous. A bit nervous. Because it's been 20 years since I spoke on mm. stage. 20 years. So just hold the mic a little bit closer to you. Sorry. That's all right. Um, before we start, I just wanted to say a couple of things um, publicly about you. Mm. Um, don't be nervous, it's going to be all good. Um, I'm pretty nice once you get to know me. But have you guys ever seen a picture, you know, that goes around Facebook and stuff like that? Maybe your auntie shared it uh, at some point. Um, and it's a picture of like a, a little domestic cat and mirror. And the reflection in the mirror is of a lion and the cat's... That's you. Because you, you look... And come across so meek and mild and beautiful and lovely. But there is a, a spiritual lion inside of you that is an absolute spiritual force to be reckoned with. And I, every time I talk to you and I hear the story of what you do day in, day out, and how you interact with people, and how you share the love of God with people in a very, very practical way, it challenges me and inspires me to be a better Christian and a better follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, you are a, a walking testimony of the goodness and kindness of God. And so I am thrilled to be able to you know, share this stage with you this morning and, yeah. and more excited to, to have you share just part of your story um, so that people can maybe don't know you, don't know your story, can be encouraged by what God has done through you. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we start really lightly? We'll start easy, then we'll maybe get into some of the deeper yeah. stuff. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, maybe your family, um, what do you do for fun? Because yeah. um, your, your husband's got one of the most amazing jobs ever. So why yeah. don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, well, I live in Ballingen on a farm, and it's 70 acres on the river. And when we first came to Ballingen, the real estate said, here's the key, go and have a look. If you like it, you can fix the money up later. <laughs> and there was no deposit. Wow. And we'd already sold a house at La Perouse and come in a friend's camper van to have a look around. And so we moved all our furniture in and um, my husband got some cows And so we started with our first little herd of 20 cows. And today we have 40 head of drought masters with a drought master bull, and they're all beef cattle. So I'm the gopher for the boys and go here, there, and everywhere, bringing bales of hay and petrol. And and so you breed them, don't you? 
So we breed and you, them. And you sell an interesting part of the um, the bull's productive system, don't you? Yeah. Yes. And then a few years ago, my eldest boy, Lee at Port Macquarie, put in a competition for the drought masters, and they said that a big stud in Queensland is giving away the bull sperm every five years to somebody to encourage them with the drought masters. So my son put in his name, Lee Partington, and the name of the farm was Kalangi, an Aboriginal name. And um, there he was with his trowel doing his brickwork at Port Macquarie. And at eight o'clock in the morning, he thought, I wonder who's going to win this competition? And half an hour later, a lady rang and said, hello, are you Lee Partington? I just want to tell you, you won the bull sperm. <laughs> and he thought, Has anybody ever had a phone call like that before? <laughs> Can anyone relate to that? No? <laughs> and um, so he thought, what am I going to put it in? Because it has to be kept in dry ice. I didn't expect this to go here, but yes. Yeah, dry ice. Yeah, yeah. And so a friend up the river, who was Lee's best man, said, I've got a spare tank. If you want to put it in the tack room, the man comes once a month and checks the nitrogen to see if it's okay. So they're actually a cluster straws, and there's about 10 in each straw. So today, we still have some left. You could sell them, you know, to somebody else. That's, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about his other job um, <laughs> yeah. that he does, because I'm much more comfortable with that, yeah. that job. It's, it's Sorry about that. Beautiful. No, that's good. It's good. It's a good start. A great start. So what else does your husband do? And then um, my husband, Danny, used to live in the bush on $50 a week, and he used to pray and stay up all night writing songs to the Lord. And I met him in church in Bellingen when my husband, John, died. And um, he came to the house and said, are you okay? I would like to pray for your grief. I know you have a lot of ladies around Ballingen that would come and bring cakes and flowers, but I felt God was saying to come and see if I could be of any help. And um, I told him I didn't cry at the funeral, but actually my two-year-old drowned in our pool 12 weeks before my husband died. And he climbed under the pool gate, and my mother-in-law was over from England, and she kept saying, take him outside to play to Andrew, the middle boy. And unfortunately, Andrew went off to play, and little John went under the gate and fell in. And I was preparing dinner and saw all the water moving and ran outside and jumped in, and I'm only five foot. The deep end's about seven or eight foot. My son Andrew and I got him out and did CPR on him for about an hour and they flew him to Sydney wrapped up in foil. The doctors got a heartbeat but unfortunately you only have to be in the water for 10 minutes and um, the people probably know it's called epoxy brain damage, no oxygen to the brain. So then I had to do an interview in Camperdown Hospital because he had blonde hair and blue eyes and looked like a little angel in case they thought we'd tried to kill him, you know. And um, they switched the machine off because on Little John because there was no, um, nothing happening in his brain. So he died, and then my husband actually died 12 weeks later of um, AIDS from transfusions in Sydney for a rare blood disorder. 
And they said to him, you will probably die of some other condition rather than your own because he had lots of transfusions over the years. Unfortunately, the blood wasn't screened in 85 and he passed away in 87. Yeah. And, and how old did you say your little boy was? He was only 40, your He's age, four. Justin. Yeah. And I had three other sons, yep. teenage sons. Two months apart. Yeah. So we had two funerals, the church in Ballingen at the Anglican Church. How, how did you process that? How did you get... Because th- that's like one of those events is traumatic, but two of those events literally back to back... How on earth did yeah. you? It's very get difficult because all my family is in the UK. I come from Derbyshire, and um, so I a friend took me to church on Palm Sunday. And um, I, I don't know if you know, in the Anglican Church, they give you a little palm made for like a Bible bookmark to celebrate Jesus. And um, just as I was walking out of the church, Danny was there standing by the door and he played like John today, the music for the church. And I told him, I'm Christine who lost John and baby John. And he just turned to me and said, I feel God is going to do something very special in your life. And I just stood there with my mouth open and I said, I believe in God since I was a little girl. I went to Sunday school, but I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then he knocked on the door two weeks later and said, could I pray for you for your sadness? He said, there can be nothing between us. I haven't been with the lady for about 15 years. When I came to Christ, I burnt everything I owned. I just wanted this new life in Christ. I was up in Dorigo and I found a box of books and in the box was a Bible. And he said, I opened it and started to read the Beatitudes. And then he said, Lord, why aren't people living like this? And he said, the finger came back at him, why aren't you living like this? And so he knocked on the door two weeks later and said, "Um, I would like to pray for your grief, that's all. And so in my kitchen, he put his hand on my head and I said the prayer with him and asked Jesus into my life. It felt quite hot when he prayed. And three weeks later, my teenage boy said, I don't know what's the matter with mom, but she's really happy. <laughs> and, and then I felt that all these spiritual things were happening to me, visions and dreams. And I said to Danny, I can't see you anymore. You're too religious for me. And, and my, my middle son, Andrew, said, Mom, is it Danny who's making you like this or is it the Lord? So he said, you better go to his house and knock on the door and say sorry to him. And that was my 16-year-old son, Andrew. And um, after that, um, things would happen. And in my kitchen, I had a vision of Andrew's future wife. And all I saw was a shop door in the Palm Center with a tall lady, girl, standing in the doorway like your daughter, Justin. She was 17. And in the vision, my son Andrew went to her and said something like, hi, honey, would you like to go for a coffee or a movie? And it was all over. And I said, Andrew, I just saw you met the girl of your dreams. And he'd never had a date. He wanted to be the best hairdresser he could possibly be, you know. 
And um, anyway, this girl came into his shop three weeks later, sat in the chair, and she was very shy with her head down, six foot tall with hair to her bottom. And she asked Andrew to cut her fringe. And, and um, as he started to cut her hair, he felt the Holy Spirit going up his arms and around his neck. And he thought, I wonder if this is the one that mum saw. I've got to find out where she works and what her name is. So he asked his boss, John, who is a Christian in Bellingen, and he only gave Andrew the apprenticeship because of what we'd gone through as a family. And he said to Andrew, her name's Hiriana, and she works at the news agency in the Palm Center, and that was the shop. Wow. So isn't that amazing? <laughs> That is so normal for you, though. Like, <laughs> you have that stuff happen every day in your life where you see these things and God... Like, every time I talk to you, there's another story. Like, literally, there'd probably be a thousand stories like that. And that's why... Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit now. What, why, why I say, like, you're like this line of the Spirit because you, you live your faith out. It's not a, it's not a theory for you. It's not a, a worldview. This is the reality for you. And I think God mm. moves through you because you live out your faith. And it's, it's phenomenal. Mm. Um, so you came to faith essentially because Danny knocked on your door. Um, Danny, by the way, is one of Australia's leading harp manufacturers. He, yeah, so he, I didn't tell you that. Sorry. That, that's right. I, I thought I would just cut yeah. to the chase and tell the people. So he makes <coughs> beautiful harps and like people like Hillsong buy his harps and all sorts of people buy his harps. He's amazing. Mm. Um, and a beautiful harpist. Is it a harpist? Yes, he, he learned to play himself. But today he's nearly 80 in a couple of weeks' time and he still can't read music, but he just plays by ear the chords. And he had to work out the scale, diatonic, with, from C in the middle, John and Pete can relate to this, with coloured strings is the red C, and it goes up in chords to the end, similar to a piano. And so he taught himself to play, but at first he could only play with one hand, the melody, and then the chords with the other hand. And then one day it just all came together that he could play with both together, you know, and improvise. That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't have any words for that one. Um, so he came to your house. How long after your... It was only four months. Four months. And then all the locals were saying, what is Christine doing with another man? Mm. And all the farmers were knocking on the door at night with their hair all slick to come to, to, say, to look after me. And I was really frightened, Justin, so I would lock all the doors, lock all the windows. And um, Andrew said, if anyone else comes, they better watch for, you know, I'll be. <laughs> and then when Danny came, he wa they all wondered why, but it was just a spiritual thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's what led to you mm. actually encountering God for yourself. I mean, you said you believed in God as a younger girl. Yes. But that was the moment mm. where, where it sort of all came together for you, right? And it was all mm. that, in a perfect time of despair and grief, yeah. um, which is the, the beauty of the kindness of God that he comes in and brings his grace, brings his peace, brings his mercy, mm. especially in times of trouble. Um, but that wasn't... Those two events weren't the isolated big events of tragedy in your life, were they? No. And then um, some months later, 
the ministry in Bellingen who did the services invited me for dinner, but little did I know, he was actually grooming me for access to my boys. So he actually lived a double life as a gay minister. And um, it, was, it was really shocking that through all that, he betrayed us, we felt, because when you go to the church for care, you know, <coughs> you, you totally blown away that somebody could do something like that to infiltrate our family, you know. And um, he took the oldest boy to a gay nightclub in Sydney. Then he took Andrew, the middle boy, to lunch at Pacific Bay and he said, we had a lovely time today, didn't we, Andrew? We'll have to do that again. And he said, I actually go to Thailand, so you can imagine what for. And then Stephen, he asked if you, the youngest one if he would like to mow the lawns for $20, but little did we know, he was actually grooming him, you know. And so you, you've had to then live through court hearings and yeah, legal proceedings with all of that and, mm. and the trauma of reliving, obviously we don't want to go into too much detail because it's quite no, sensitive no. information, but I think mm. we've established enough of a, what's going on um, yeah. to, to join those dots. But, but how was it for you then having to relive that stuff through solicitors and lawyers and police and all that sort of stuff? Um, how, how did you cope with all that? I just held on to Jesus and I was actually getting scriptures that I'd never read myself and one was Leviticus and um, it was he lays with a man as a man lays with a woman and then his solicitor said wear your red and purple velvet robes and I'll get you off and I hung my head in the court in Grafton and the judge was it was his very last day and he was about to retire and he said, I've no other decision than to sleep on this and tell you tomorrow what my decision is. And I hung my head in the courthouse thinking, what about other little boys? We have to make a stand, you know. And in the morning, we went back again and he said, I've no other than to send you to jail, you know. So um, it, it wasn't until last year that the church at Grafton acknowledged this and um, Stephen, my son, got a payout. And um, it was wonderful to finally have closure. And um, we had a window done in the church in memory of John and little John. And it was Jesus with the lamb on his shoulders, the lost sheep. So I felt like the Lord was showing me to choose that picture in memory of them both, because they were both called John. But Stephen was very angry about what happened with the priest. So he said, I feel like I want to go and smash the window, take it out. And I said, what would you do with it at home? You couldn't have it in your house as an idol, you know, because that's not right, wouldn't be right, right. To, to the Lord, you know. It's incredible. And this is why I love this, because, you know, there's so many of us have got, we've all got stories. Yeah. And, and there's just not time on a Sunday to fully get to know each other's story so yes, intricately and yes. deeply. And so to hear this is, is phenomenal. I'm sure this is probably news to most, if not almost all the people in this room. Mm. So, and those three big items that, that happened in your life, incidences, is losing your husband, your son, and then the, the, the incident yeah. with, your, with your older boy. 
most of us are probably not going to have one, anything happen to the level of one of those things in mm. our lifetime. Yeah. You've had three. Mm. Yet I look at you today and from outside appearances, it would look like you've lived a very comfortable Simple life, easy life, life yeah. um, because you, yeah. you carry such an air of grace and peace and mercy about you. Um, how and why? How do, you, how do you have that peace about you? How do you have that, that mercy that just oozes from you? Um, the reason I have it is because um, Jesus was so real to me to make up for the last. And so in my daily life, I can be at the movies and start writing in the dark about a message for somebody. Or I'm driving on the highway and the Lord says, when you get down the road, I want you to stop and take those people where they want to go. And one particular time was at the old Bonville Road. I pulled up at the fruit and veggie store, you know, and there was three children sitting on the pavement with their father. And it was a Saturday morning. I was just going to get my food shopping cars. And I said, can you tell me, would you like a lift? And they said, thank you. We've been waiting 20 minutes, but nobody came on this road. And I said, I'm going to Coffs, would you like to go? And he said, yes, we're going to the hospital. And I thought one of the children, there was something wrong with them. And I said, can you tell me what is wrong? Because I always pray when I leave people. And they said, their mum is on drugs. So you just never know when you stop and meet somebody what their story will be, you know. And so do you, do you, when you meet random people like that and you feel the Holy Spirit prompt you to go and talk to somebody, do you always offer to pray for them? Um, no, I just tell them about Jesus first. Yep. And unless the, uh, the anointing comes before I leave them, then I say, could I just pray? Yep. Yeah. So good. And another time, Justin, I just left here, the church, heading back home, and I picked up a tall young man like you, and he got in the car, and straight away he started to cry. And I said, what on earth's the matter? And he said, my name's Adam. And five years ago, I was um, diagnosed with testicle cancer. And I had an operation. I thought it was fine. But five months ago, it all came back. And my girlfriend kicked me out of the house last night at Yuranga. And I've got nowhere to stay. And I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to Bellingen. And he said, my friend is going to meet me and give me some money so I can get a room to stay tonight. So I pulled up outside the Bellingen um, Tavern and I said, can I pray for you, Adam? For I don't know what time you have, but let's pray for healing, that the Lord will do something really magnifying to your life, you know. And he held my hand tightly. He didn't want me to go. And he started to cry again. And he said, I can't believe a complete stranger has prayed for me and given me a lift to where I want to go. And my own family won't have me unless I'm paying them money. So I was shocked when he said that, you know. So good. Mm. Go. I've just got a couple of things. Christine Pringle want to write a book about children when yep. they go to heaven and so i was in the salon cleaning the windows uh, the mirrors in the salon and the lord said when chris pringle comes to church ask her to pray for you and my hair was going really thin on top 
So this well, is about 15 years ago? Yeah. 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 And so um, Sean rang me and said, Christine is writing a book about children when they die and go to heaven. And I can't find the... So, so Chris Pringle is obviously the, f the founding, her and her husband Phil, founding pastors of C3. And so she wrote this book on, essentially because she had a miscarriage. Yes. And then God yes. gave her a vision that brought her healing through that. And this is the, yes. the book. This is the book yep. called Jessie. And um, after the service was over here, she went upstairs with Sean and Jane. And I thought she was probably flying back to DY, to the big church. And I thought, I've missed my opportunity. The Lord said, when she comes, ask her to pray for you. So I quickly w went up the stairs, knocked on the door, and Jane opened the door. And I said, um, excuse me, Jane, I just wondered if Chris Bringle would pray for me before she actually leaves. And she said, come in. And this is what she wrote. See if I could just read this paragraph. Pastor Chris recently visited our church. At the end of the service, she prayed for a lady who had been losing large amounts of hair due to emotional stress. Pastor Chris did not know anything about this lady's background. As she prayed over her, she, reached an she received an amazing vision. Jesus was holding a beautiful toddler in his arms. The boy had blue eyes and long blonde curls. Pastor Chris gently said, the angels in heaven have been bringing up this little boy and that the Lord wanted her to know that she was not to blame herself anymore. Over and over she stressed, you are not to blame. Pastor Chris asked the lady, if this word and vision meant anything to her, she nodded and wept. Fourteen years earlier, her beautiful two-year-old boy, who had long curly hair and blonde eyes, had fallen unnoticed into the backyard swimming pool and drowned. When the police officers arrived at their home and saw John, they began crying because he was so beautiful. Twelve weeks after this tragic event, the lady also lost her husband due to AIDS. Since that day, she's been set free from the guilt and shame she has suppressed for 14 years. Her hair has grown back and she is serving Jesus with joy and gladness. So I did you know. <laughs> I often give this book to people who have for grief with their children and then Pastor Chris rang Jane and said we give a service every year at DY I don't know if you know about it Justin and they do a service just for all the children who have died and they let some doves go in the courtyard and then it comes up on the screen all the children that have passed and I was shocked to see that some families had lost more than three or four children so it's very sad you know mm. sorry to upset you no 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 it's 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 not it's it's upsettingly beautiful because of it's all mm. it's all laced with hope yes yeah. It's it's like it's mm. the stories the are sad, but the, but the ending is is joyful because mm. of of the kindness of God moving through, in particular yeah. your story. Um, as as we draw this to a close, I just wonder if you could offer up any any advice that you would give to people who are 
either have gone through grief, mm-hmm. maybe are in grief, or maybe words of wisdom that would prepare us for seasons that may come where grief is present. What, what would you, drawing upon your experiences in life and with God, what, what advice would you yeah. offer to us? For myself, uh, the strength I receive is from the Lord with constant prayer. And when I go to bed, the anointing comes. So I pray for everything for my family and friends. And um, with all the happenings, it's just made me stronger in him to face any adversity, you know, that comes along. And no matter what it is, I'm not afraid to have a peace, you know, about my life and my family's life. So um, it, I find that the most difficult question, because you said to me, for you it's easy, but for others who are going through stress, just to cling tightly onto Jesus and he will mark your path and um, he will draw you to him in love. The same as what happened to me, you know. Just, just as, we're, as we're talking, and I want to make this statement and tell me if you think this is true or not, but from what I can glean listening to you today is Jesus is just as real to you as your pain and suffering and trauma? Um, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And people I pick up on the road, they might see me again another time when I stop for them, yeah. and they say, are you still into God? Mm. <laughs> you know, Like it's a passing fact. As though it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to know if, if this came from my, one of my granddaughters, if you'd like to read it, because I was... She did a project at school... Just this one page? Um, you can pull it out. Oh, more multiple pages. If you read it quickly. <laughs> for the time. It's 47 pages. What's... <laughs> we read the whole thing? Yeah. So I'll, I'll read sorry. this if, if you promise to pray for us all afterwards. Okay, yeah. Is that right? Deal? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this, this context, this is written by your granddaughter? This is by Kaya, Stephen's middle daughter. And um, she had to do it as a project for school, so she chose to write about me, okay. and that's why I'm embarrassed to read it myself. I will happily oblige. <laughs> my nan, my amazing grandmother Christine, came into the world with a bang. Yes, literally. She was born a firecracker ni- on firecracker night on the 5th of November 1949. She was born in Derbyshire. Did I say that right? Derbyshire, yeah. Derbyshire, England. She has a sister and a brother called Jane and Paul. She is my role model because she's very kind and has inner strength that glows. She has a very kind heart, so whenever she sees someone looking troubled on the street, she always checks in to see if they're okay. How old was she when she wrote this? Um, she's 14. At, at this point she was 14? She was probably about 12, oh, wow. you know, about two years ago. The thing that shines out to me is her ability to face difficulty and pain with courage and strength. I love her stories. I really admire her. I aspire to be more like her. My nan and pop moved from England to Australia in 1974. They were thrilled to begin a new lifestyle to raise their young family. England is very different to Australia. In England, the summers were short and the winters were long, like the coats worn on the street. They had high hopes for their future. They showed great bravery to leave all their family and make a new start on the other side of the world. Sydney was their first home in Australia, and Bellingen followed soon after. The first few months in Belgium saw Christine and John adapting to farm life with their four energetic boys. 
The choice to move was far more was for a more wholesome farm life. John was sick and the countryside reminded them of their beginnings in Derbyshire. Soon after moving, their youngest son drowned in a pool. A month later, John also died. Some would say, my nan is very brave for all that she has gone through, but I'm learning that you have, you have to have courage first before you can get brave. Thank you, Lord. Nan then remarried Denny, a kind-hearted and creative man who now makes Celtic harps, which have been sold all over the world. My nan is very loyal to the monarchy. You're a staunch monarchist, aren't you? I love it. Long live the queen. You've actually got a letter from the queen, don't you? Sorry? You've got a letter from the queen. I've had two letters, yeah. 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 She's famous too. And it was only Justin because she came down my street when I was five years old. And I was sitting on the pavement and she had the beautiful coronet and the white fluffy stole and waved to everybody. And I received a coronation mug for when she was crown queen and my brother got a spoon. So I still have them even though they're very old. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love that. Um, when she talks about the royal family, she gets that twinkle in her eye. We, we just saw that then. And you, you better get ready for the tea and scones and a long magical story. She recently wrote to the Queen because she always wanted to get a reply. Pop said, you posh little snob. In 1953, after the Queen's coronation, Paul, Jane and Christine were sitting on the grey coal pavement in Derby and waved to the Queen as she passed by. That's right. She was wearing a pure white stole and a glittering tiara. Nan still holds this moment in her heart like it was yesterday. Nan's letter to the Queen recounted this moment as she told how much she admired her strength. Nan always wanted the best for people, no matter who they were. You could say this is her passion in life. Nan was saddened by the lack of current respect um, for her by the government. She said, you are chosen by God, leader of the faith, defender of the monarchy. The Queen responded with much gratitude. Nan is inspirational because when she believes in something, she may be little, but underneath the armour of a fair English skin and marshmallow... Hold on. But underneath the armour of fair English skin and marshmallow pick velour tracksuits, she has the heart of a lion. I don't even read this. There you go. That's why I wanted you to read it, the last bit. We did not rehearse this, by the way. This is... Wow. Courage in French means heart. Real courage is not the absence of fear, but the motivation to move forward in spite of it. That'll preach. I've learned that writing is good. I was to read this last bit. Yeah, okay. I've learned that writing is good for me, and it is good a good tool to learn about the different events that have happened in my nan's life. Writing is also good to share information and challenge the reader. This story is about my nan, who was powerful to me and hopefully was an inspiration to the reader. I wanted to use simple vocabulary so anyone could easily read and relate. Except I can't easily read because I'm a simple man. <laughs> As we are a country born out of England, many people are intrigued by our English beginnings. I used anecdotes, repetition, metaphor, and similes, and I quoted Nan and Pop, using their tones to balance with humor. This lets the reader hear their personalities. This makes them more relatable. This brings the story to life. My story is nonlinear because it jumps from memory to memory and reflects back on Nan's childhood. The suspense is in the why in my nan is so wonderful, is why my nan is so wonderful. Uh, the excitement peaks with the memory of the Queen's parade, her personal letter is, and the encouragement from the Queen and the response that she received. I wanted to share a special moment in my nan's life as she is the best and always wants the best for me. That's incredible. God bless. <laughs>
that's pretty special. I didn't read the last part myself. I've never read it. Yeah. So that was amazing. I, th I thought that was for the teacher, you know. I th yeah, I think it was, but still yeah. a, a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful summary of... Um, and it sums up really well everything we've been talking about here this morning about um, that through tragedy can come triumph if, if hope is mm. central and we only draw hope from that which is mm. faithful enough to give us hope. And yeah. for us, that's Jesus. Mm. And, and, and like I said, Jesus is just as real to you as every single trial, trial and tragedy you've faced. And that is what makes you inspirational. That is what makes you that line on the inside that, that can roar louder than the problems around you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and we just love you. We think you're amazing. We think you're inspirational. We, we applaud your bravery, your Thank boldness, you. your courage. Thank you very much. And your faithfulness. It's and all I wanted to say before we close uh, to Justin is that um, I was one of the first members of the church when it started in Shepherd's Lane in somebody's house where they grow the bananas. And that was um, Jeff Reynolds. Yeah. And we heard in Bellingen a church was going to be opened. So my husband, Danny, said, I think we should go along. And this was on a Wednesday night. And from that stemmed C3 Church, which has had three pastors and three moves. So it's been 30 years that I've been a member. So I'm sure there's lots of other people who were here, Mary and Jeff Baker. I'm not sure of Probably others. Judy Ward. Judy, yeah. 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 So good. Yeah. Way longer than me. And you was 10 yeah. years old. Yeah, I was a young pup. <laughs> yes. Playing um, basketball. Yeah, guilty as charged. Too. Guilty as charged. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Um, now, you promised to pray for us. Okay. I'm really excited about that because I know when you pray, God listens and heaven moves. And so, yeah. um, I don't know, would you just pray whatever God puts on your heart just as a blessing over all of us today yes. that maybe something in your story would encourage us mm. in the life that we all face ourselves. Thank you, Lord. That'd yeah. be awesome. Heavenly Father, I just pray for each and every member here today, my spiritual family. I pray you will mark their path. I pray you will infiltrate their spirit, Lord, their heart and their mind with your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for each and every person that you will bless them abundantly, full measure with all the gifts of the Spirit, and they will go on to lead beautiful lives in you. In Jesus' name I pray. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Hey, can we thank Christine this morning? So good. <laughs>